Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as we say around here. Actually, as my bride insists that I do say around here, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room, so Ravinder, how about telling us all about it, please? We do have a great chat room, and I really hope that you can uh, jump onto your computer and come out and join us there. It's a great place, you know, for more information about the show. It's a great way to put forward questions as well for those of you who are too shy to call in. Um, oftentimes, we'll have the uh, guest actually in the chat room chat room as well and i'm sure today's guests will pop in there as well so and they always provide additional information so it's a really cool place and if you can't get onto it live um if you're you know hearing the show during one of the replays or you know on our syndicated networks you can still go to the chat room and read the conversation and you know pick up the earls or tips that are provided in there so just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat and see the movie that you usually play uh-huh. at the top of the hour all right in today's spotlight we turn our attention to what else the lies we live not none of us do that do we huh there are things that we simply do not want to believe or deal with so we lie to ourselves even when we know it's a lie as such we tell ourselves things every day at least in our actions which violate our own knowing call it rationalization, denial, or just plain old wishful thinking, we nevertheless perpetuate the same old lies often over and over and over again. For example, let's think about those so-called conspiracy theories to begin with. We didn't want to believe that our government illegally spied on us, or that the tobacco companies deliberately added addictive chemicals to our cigarettes, or that the Obama administration smuggled guns to Mexico, or that our CIA was implicated in drug smuggling, or that our intelligence agencies had a heart attack gun, or that the NSA was storing our cell phone calls, GPS records, and so forth. We didn't want to believe that the FBI poisoned alcohol during Prohibition, or that our government would use 600 poor black men in Tuskegee, Alabama, to experiment with syphilis. Or that our government was undertaking geoengineering, shooting huge amounts of porous walled glass microspheres, as an example of just one of the things injected into our atmosphere. None of us want to worry about matters seemingly beyond our control. So we trust our food is clean and safe. Our drugs have been proven effective. Our doctors know that they're doing the very best for us and that they care about our healing more than anything else. Our drug companies have our best interest at heart, etc., etc. The fact is, we go about our lives living as though we wholeheartedly believe that the mainstream media is telling us the truth, 
that food prices continue to rise only because of the natural force we call inflation, that chemical food additives are all tested and proven safe, that we can rely on the CDC for reliable and safe vaccines, even if they contain mercury, that GMOs are safe to eat and good for the planet, that the history taught our children in public schools is an accurate representation of the facts, that organic produce is a waste of money, that swallowing fluoride is good for babies and children, that commercial pet foods are healthy and nutritious, that the radiation problem arising from Fukushima isn't anything to be concerned about, and on and on. Now stop and think. Do you really believe this sort of stuff, or are you just pretending, acting as though you do, living out your life like everyone else, and trusting that if there is a problem, someone else will deal with it? It may surprise you, unless you've read my work or listened to our show for a while, but the hard data, based on several different designs, shows clearly that the more people know of a problem, the more numbers of people that know of a problem, including a violent crime in progress, the less likely anyone is to do anything about it. This has been called, among other things, the Genevieve's effect or the bystander effect. My question to you, if you don't truly believe all of these lies, what are you doing about them? I have said before there are three C's in life. Choice, chance and change you must choose to change and that requires taking a chance for change doesn't come about by doing the same thing over and over or by doing nothing at all your thoughts on this one Rav you know um, yeah it is it's all really complex uh, trusting I, I don't trust anybody anymore <laughs> I, I don't believe in experts anymore you know, I have discovered that there isn't any such thing as an expert because everyone makes mistakes. You have to use your own judgment. You have to check and double check. And that can seem like it's a great deal of work, but it really isn't. It just means don't turn your brain off. You know, leave your critical judgment in place. Stop and think. And, yeah, and then things start. Things can start changing. So. And that latter is an important one because... The data also shows us, using functional magnetic resonance imaging, that areas of the brain that are in charge of discrimination literally turn off, shut down, to use the words uh-huh. of PET and MRI people, you know, uh, in the presence of an authority. So you're standing in front of your doctor or your minister, and he says something, and bang, it's shut. And that's what you mean by you must always be alert, always mindful, and... Uh, Willing to take responsibility for the decision, not not passing it off to somebody else. Yep. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Robert Schwartz, and we discussed his book and work, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift. Mark wrote, the problem I had with guest Robert Schwartz is that the source of his message is based on one or more spiritual guides. How do you know whether a guide is of the light or not? I believe there are many false guides or imposters of the spirit who masquerade as true spiritual guides and give messages that seem true, but always contain some error. After all, what is really the intent of a false spirit? 
Their message may be 90% true with 10% error, which in my opinion is a big deal and can lead one astray on the path. I believe that such a notion is downplayed by many spiritual seekers. Elaine Rodelda, and this was a great show, lots of chatting about all these subjects. Even if we have a soul plan with many alternatives, I still think if a wrong is done, it is our responsibility as humans to bring enlightenment, safety, change policies, etc., rather than just say, oh, that girl given as a wife at 10 who didn't please her husband and got her nose cut off, that was her soul plan. We can't stand idly by saying people plan to be tortured, etc., so I was happy you made that point. It might be our sole plan to help or to stand by our truths when it comes to violence, etc. What do you think? Well, for me, Elaine, the notion that we plan to be evil when we incarnate is nothing short of unmitigated, albeit perhaps convenient, rubbish. Period. Full stop. Okay. You want to add something there, Ravinder? I like the period full stops. I think I'll leave it right there. Okay. There's passion in your voice on that one. J.B. wrote, All of this info Schwartz is selling is based on what different mediums have told him. Not only is it secondhand info then, but I'm sure he must have done some cherry picking of what he decided to share. Doesn't anyone have a problem with this? That's really a very good point, J.B. Cindy wrote, Dear Eldon and Ravinder, your site looks beautiful. Keep up the great work, and thank you for inspiring multitudes of millions of people with your goodness and help. Well, thanks, Cindy, and for all of you out there, Ravinder and her team have redone our website. Take a look and let me know what you think. Just go to intertalk, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K, dot com. You're kind of proud of that, aren't you? You know, um, I'm proud of Andrea's work, actually. I was at the back just supervising stuff and pointing and aiming, and Andrea did the bulk of it. So, yeah, everyone out there, please do go to innertalk.com and tell us your thoughts on the brand-new site. And if you see improvements, you know, just tell us about it, and we'll get them done. Andrea does a great job She on does a fabulous job. All right. Marsha wrote, I purchased your book. What does that mean? As soon as you posted the great deal. I am so glad I did. You have cleared up so many things for me. And now I not only remember some miracles of my life, I'm back to expecting them. Well, thank you, Marsha. For all of you out there, the great deal Marsha is speaking of comes down to this. Right now you can get my book, What Does That Mean?, on Kindle, Nook, and Apple iBook for only $1.99. You'll love the book, I promise. $1.99, you can't go wrong. Andrew wrote, Your Intertalk products are brilliant. Miko wrote, Eldon, you are a phenomenal artist and being, and I appreciate you. Miko, thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. Victoria commented, I am grateful that Eldon Taylor posted this very pertinent quote. Put simply, feelings of gratitude nudged people to restrain their greed. The more grateful they felt, the less selfishly they acted, and the more willingly they were to cooperate with people they didn't know from Adam. Close quote. Now that quote actually comes from a research uh, project, a new study that was done. And the data continues to reveal the power of what I've called in my book, Choices and Illusions, the four corners of a successful life. And once again, those four corners are gratitude, forgiveness, service, and self-responsibility. 
All right, Marianne wrote, Eldon Taylor and Ravinder, you're a great couple. Love your show. Love your chemistry. Well, I like that. What do you think, Rev? I love that chemistry, too. I do, too. <laughs> Both. <laughs> all right. On that's, the air. <laughs> okay. That's all the time we're going to take for letters. But I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. Now to this week's show, In Search of Enlightenment. I have argued for a very long time that enlightenment is a progress, a journey, the never-ending pursuit of the answer to how high is up. I do believe that there are questions that simply are unanswerable and that there are answers we cannot understand as incarnate beings. I have also found that many of our questions about life must be lived into. The answer is otherwise unavailable to us. Taking on the quest, seeking the enlightenment, truly dedicating oneself to the study and discipline required entails much more than an occasional thought or church attendance. Perhaps like Siddhartha in the book by the same name, we find that our river is not at all what we expected it to be. For Siddhartha mastered the difficult disciplines. He raised himself from poverty to riches and he gave it all away. He left the Buddha in the garden for he sought personal enlightenment, not an enlightened teacher. In the end, he found his peace, his understanding and enlightenment, listening to the river and taking travelers across on his ferry. Each of us has a river. What it is, in my opinion, has one thing in common, and that is service. Sometimes I fail to express my gratitude to the many good people in my life. I have had many teachers. Often it is my dear friends or members of my family that bring me the most important lessons. I have been blessed to share some adventures with today's guest, my friend, Dr. John L. Turner. Dr. Turner is one of those enlightenment seekers, one who is willing to commit whatever it takes to find true enlightenment. He is also a caring human being and willing to allow baffle gab and profit motives to rule in any arena, from health care to spirituality. Today we'll catch up with Dr. Turner as he shares his spiritual journey over the past few years and what he's learned as a result. So let me tell you a little about him. After graduating from Ohio State University with a degree in engineering physics, Dr. Turner continued in graduate school at Ohio State University, Department of Physics. Three years into the Ph.D. program, he was given a book about Edgar Cayce, The Sleeping Prophet. This changed the course of his life. He was excited about the existence of a spiritual world and made immediate plans to attend the Ohio State University's College of Medicine, where he earned his M.D. He completed his internship year in general surgery in his first year of neurosurgical residency at Ohio State. He completed the remaining four years of neurosurgical training at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. For 18 years, he served as the sole neurosurgeon on the island of Hilo, initially performing life-saving procedures with a marginally trained staff and substandard equipment. By all measures, John L. Turner is a surgeon with classic Western medical credentials from his first day on call in Hilo, Hawaii. Metaphysical events appeared for his edification and continued to the present day. Dr. Turner has been on our show before, and we have discovered we have discussed his wonderful book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, 
a nonfiction narrative about his surgical career and spiritual quest and his journey into the field of integral medicine. The book is a must-read, in my opinion. But on that, let's get him in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. John L. Turner. Hello, Eldon. How are you? And thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate this. Well, indeed, it's my pleasure, sir. And it's, it's, it's good to have you back on the show. Really good. How have you been, my friend? Well, I tell you, Eldon, they just had my volume, you know, pumped up when they put me in the on the show. But now it's faded again. You might ask her to check. I I can barely hear you, but I think I, I can do with it. But if you can get it back, I'd appreciate it. Most definitely. I will address that right this second on the air. My my lovely producer, Kiera. Kiera, please get Dr. Turner's volume back up for him. Can you hear me now, Jack? John, well, Dr. Turner? Him, but that's okay. I'll, I'll make it do. Uh, go ahead, Eldon. I'm ready. To listen. Uh, you're ready. All right. Well, you know, many of our listeners know you from your previous visits to the show. Um but then there are many people that, that just aren't familiar with you. So let me get some groundwork done here. Uh, why did you write Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations? Well, uh, <clears throat> I'll try not to sound glib today as we talk, uh, Eldon, but uh, that book came about uh, when I was sitting at my computer one day. Uh, I had a small country place where I like to stay because it's was on a large 21-acre uh, kind of place, uh, isolated, but with a waterfall in a valley. And as I sat out there, which was like a meditation every time I went, I was sitting at my computer, and I had an electronic version of the Eat King. And I said, now's a good time to check this out. So I typed in the question, uh, am I on the right path? And the response that came through was, was interesting. And, you know, it prompted me to write the book because basically it had to do with uh, humility. And so I, I'm thinking about all the different things that were starting to happen and had happened, and I said, I'm just going to put these thoughts down, and pretty soon it turned into a small book. And as you know, uh, and your listeners know, six years ago it was published, but little did I know that what I thought was the end was actually the beginning of things. And uh, now I can say, Eldon, as you know from our talks, I'm nearing the end. Uh, these past two years, you talked about I was searching for enlightenment. Well, actually, it will be 72 years on September 26th this month. So, you know, I've been at this a long time, but I'm trying. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and make any comment. I'm just going to simply, you know, in the book, you tell some pretty significant stories, and uh, and I suppose that you know, I mean, for all intent and purposes, these stories challenge the mechanical reductionistic view of our universe, and um, and they give rise to you, you know, telling a side of yourself that um, many scientists aren't willing to share, step up and share. What I'd like you know to hear from you today, Doctor Turner, is. You know, you had a turning point. You you had a desire for spirituality. You moved from physics to medicine. What? Why medicine? Why? What? What was the tie between, you know, Edgar Casey and and wanting to do medicine versus continuing with physics? Well, I can hear you fine, uh, Eldon. Now the problem was in my headset connection. 
everything. <laughs> okay. um, you know, that question, when I read that book, Edgar KC, and I, it's one of the few books that you find in life that you sit down and read it a second time right away, I, I, I didn't know where this information was coming from. I had never thought about that. I had uh, studied near-death experiences and tried to roll out of my body for years, but now this Edgar Casey business really uh, interested me, and I, I wanted to find out where did this information come from. And in Columbus, Ohio, you don't have a lot of options, uh, at least I didn't back then. So I thought, uh, why don't I go to medical school and uh, become a psychiatrist and study the mind? Well, my mother, uh, if I may briefly say, who was a child psychologist, and in 1935, one of the first three women of color to receive a PhD in the United States, right. she talked me out of that, Alden. She said, please don't go into psychiatry. She said, you'll be at the bottom of your profession. And she said, you can uh, do better than uh, just pushing drugs and using drugs. Well, <laughs> I wasn't sure what she was talking about then because I didn't know any psychiatrists, but I took a part-time job with the Department of Psychiatry uh, that was working with hyperactive children. And then I realized, yes, these uh, people do get a little bit strange, you know, these psychiatrists. So neurosurgery just came into the picture, uh, which I thought was by accident. But looking back all these years later, I realized there are no accidents. Everything happens uh, for a reason. And it all happens according to a plan. And as you know, Eldon, it's my feeling is that plan has worked out in the spiritual world before we incarnate here. Right, we you know, we we discussed that last week, and so I, since you brought that up, let me get your opinion on something. Yeah. Um, do you believe that on the other side uh, there are some folks that agree to be just uh, the evil folks, uh, the bad people that are going to come over here and help you learn a lesson? Well, Eldon, I don't want to monopolize this conversation, but I can only uh, tell a little story about that uh, because of. I will say because of medicine and neurosurgery was the big reason I have uh, been married uh, four times and divorced three times. And the last divorce was from a lawyer. And I think now I'm specializing in pain management because I think I know things <laughs> well. That's true. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, but here's the thing on that. Uh, one day, it was in the last few years, I was invited to a, what they call a baby luau over here for a child's first birthday, it's like a party. And my uh, middle son then was having his uh, fourth child and asked me would I come. So my uh, wife, who now my wife is from Tokyo, and we have a nine-year-old son. At that time, he was about three years old. So we went to this party, and I met my uh, three other grandchildren for the first time that day. And they were age ranges from 12 to 8 years old. But it was the first time they were hearing about their grandfather, me, right, because of the way things were. Okay. So as I was sitting at a table across from him with a baby on his lap, I I took a picture when he said uh, to these kids, this is your grandfather. And then my little son, three years old, was sitting right next to them. And as they were looking at him, I said, now I want you to meet your uncle Doshi. That's my son's name. And again, he was right. three years old. And I had my camera ready, and I took a picture to catch the surprised look on their face to think a three-year-old boy could be their uncle, right? Mm -hmm. And right then, Elton, this pavilion by the beach, the ocean flooded with light. 
And I asked my son, I said, is your mother coming today? And he said, uh, no, she has pneumonia. I said, well, I'm sorry, in the hospital. And he said, nope, she's at home, but she said she's not coming, she has pneumonia. And right then, with the light hitting this place, I uh, realized uh, that I could understand now Epictetus' famous quotation. Uh, he was a Greek philosopher in around 50, right. 53 AD. And one of his lectures, he said that when you start to blame others for one's own misfortune, that's a sign of a want of education. The second part goes like this. When you begin to blame yourself for your misfortune, that means education is in progress. But the final okay. third element, and uh, maybe Quickly. when I talked about this, is when you neither blame others nor yourself, your education is complete. Yeah. And then yeah. I realized... I'm going to ask you to hold it right there, uh, Dr. Sure. Turner. We have a hard break here, so we'll come back and you pick it right up. We're speaking with Dr. John L. Turner about his wonderfully inspiring book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. You can learn more about him and his work by visiting johnlturner.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-T-W-E-E-D-Y.com. Brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives on our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, hard scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner Talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using Inner Talk. Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. 
This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs, Prosperity, Money Management, and Luck. I listened to the Prosperity and Money Management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Luck CD I listened to every day at home also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, inner talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, Inner Talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or pbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. John L. Turner about his work and book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. You can learn more about him and his book by visiting johnlturner.com. We ask our guests for up to three songs, songs that have some special significance to them. Music does elicit memories. It's tied to our emotions, and very often our entire cognitive process can fail in every area, but in this area where we have music tied to an event, to a moment, to a place in time, to a particular emotion. So... Dr. Turner, we just played your first choice. I just called to say I love you by Stevie Wonder. What makes this one special to you, sir? Dr. Turner? I know everyone loves this song. It's an appropriate song for our discussion. And as you remember, Eldon, one chapter in my book is named, I called to say I love you. And if you don't mind, I'd like to discuss the subject of that one chapter, because I think it's very important. Yeah, no, do, do. I okay. mean, you know, it all ties to why you chose this song, so let's do that. All right. You asked me to be on the show to talk about my uh, spiritual journey or my path, right? That's right. And I'd like to begin by saying that, as you know, and your listeners know, the, the one path that all of us must take and must complete is a journey of only 18 inches and that's from the head to the heart. And I think that this case explains a little bit about uh, how that process can start, at least how it really kicked in for me. Um, I was hyperthyroid back in 95, and, you know, at that time I had no idea what that disease was like personally, but I was really pumped up, and uh, I asked for some opinion as to why I had this fine tremor of my hand. In fact, it was so bad I had to stop operating under a microscope because it just magnifies everything a lot. And people uh, told me, the uh, professional people said, well, you're just excited, you know, because they thought everything was going great for me. It looked like it. And what happened, I bought a new Ferrari. This was in 1995. And Hilo is a small town on the big island of Hawaii. And mm-hmm. I, there wasn't another Ferrari around here. And, it, it, you know, people thought this was a change of life for me. But what it did, it calmed down this hyperthyroid state the faster I would drive. And as you can see, it also altered my thinking. I mean, that's a crazy thought to try to drive fast. But I, my goal was to see if this car would really go 180 miles an hour. Now, uh, what happened was I was kind of saved in a way by a young man in a pickup truck, which is the kind of pickup truck later I got, which was an old Nissan pickup truck. And one day he pulled in front of me and he stopped me and he and he got out and he walked back to me. And uh, it was on a beautiful day. The top was down and I had on driving gloves. and You know, I was doing my thing. And then he said, listen, uh, he said, you've got to slow down. You've been zipping through my neighborhood. And I said, well, where do you live? He told me on the ocean where he lived, and that's where he would turn around and give people a ride. Well, that car, as you probably know, starting at zero to 25, sounds like a jet taking off anyway. And then he walked away, and then he turned around and stared at me, and he said, don't you realize my kids play there? Then he drove off. And, I, you know, at first it, it kind of upset me. The guy would talk to me like that, and the next day I'm thinking and thinking on this. And it hit me. I must be hyperthyroid. 
And my family doctor was sitting there at the desk at the hospital, and he said, well, you have been losing weight. I said, yeah, but, you know, I'm not thinking straight either. So I said, I'll go to the lab, have them send it to you, and then you let me know. And he called me right away when he got the result. And he said, you're flying. He said, we've got to treat you right away. So they treated me at that time by thyroid ablation, drinking a radioactive iodine. And they said, in six uh, weeks, you can kiss your thyroid goodbye. So that's what happened, Eldon, and then I became hypothyroid, right? But when I had that Ferrari, uh, there was a young man who lived a street behind me who admired the car. I didn't know this until I met him in a most unusual way. And it happened one day when I pulled into the parking lot. Now, I still have that Ferrari, and I pulled into the doctor's lot. And as I get out, the anesthesia uh, doctor is getting out of his car, and as we talked, he said he's doing the same case for me, uh, back surgery. And then Eldon, he said to me, uh, did you see that young boy who shot himself in the head? <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about that. No one called me yesterday. I said, maybe it was too far gone for me to do anything, but I didn't get a call. I said, where is he? He said, he's up in the ICU now with his head wrapped in paper things and uh, uh, a tube in his mouth. They disconnected him from the respirator. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And, uh, again, shut me off if I'm being too verbal with this thing, Elder. No, 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 no. But okay, please. all right. I don't know if I put you to sleep. But anyway, <laughs> I I did the back surgery, and then when I got out of the thing, my beeper went off for the ICU. And I knew I didn't have any patients there if I thought it was this boy. Well, to shorten this story a little bit, I, I go up, and as I walk in the room, part the curtains, I had a very strange scene in front of me. I saw a woman with her back to me uh, counting money into a plastic uh, money drawer. And to the right was the bed with the boy with his head wrapped in what we call chucks, these disposable paper things. He had an endotracheal tube coming out of his mouth but no respirator hooked to it. And a girl beside him with her head down just sobbing. It was a surreal scene, especially when the woman turned around and I recognized who she was. I knew her uh, from this boy's uh, previous encounters with him on two occasions for relatively minor things. And this was the third time I was seeing him, but now it was under extreme conditions. He was being left for dead, so to speak. And she told me uh, she was waiting for him to take that last agonal breath, but she has a business to run, so she had to count his money out while they're waiting. And I took her outside the room, and I showed her the cat scan, and I, I showed her where the bullet had entered the right side of his head and then fragmented against the bone on the opposite side. I said, Sharon, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but even if he could survive this, he may never move his left arm and leg again. I said, would, would he want to live that way, your son Daryl? She said, no, he wouldn't. I said, well, I'm really sorry to say that. It you know, looks like there's little to be done. And then she said this, Eldon, what saved his life, she said, but he responds to me. I said, what do you mean responds to you? She said, well, he'll squeeze my hand. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know from that story, Eldon, that changed the look, the whole picture for me. I, I went back, and I put my fingers in this boy's hand, and uh, I whispered in his ear, uh, Daryl, do you remember me, Dr. Turner? And then I said, if you do, squeeze my hand. And he did. And I said, now let go. And he did. I, once again, I said, squeeze, Daryl. And he did. And then let go. And he did. Well, that changed the story. I taught him to signal yes and no by moving one or two 
fingers. And then I asked him if he understood that he was in Hilo Hospital. He said, yeah. If he couldn't move anything else, Elvin just barely could move these fingers. And I said, do you know what happened? He said, no. I explained what happened. And I said, listen, uh, uh, you know, you may be completely paralyzed on one side if you can pull through this. I said, but, you know, if you want to make it through this, there's some things we have to do right now. I said, so I really want to know, do you want to live? And uh, he said, yes. And then he signaled with movement of four fingers, for one finger, then four, then three, one, four, three. And the mother began to cry, and the girlfriend started weeping. And I said, what is that? And he said, that's the, uh, that's the call sign they have for I love you, those three, three things. Mm. So I said, yeah, guys, listen, we'll have to get to work now. So I wheeled him up to the operating room. And then, a real long story short, uh, seven years later, he came walking up my driveway. Uh, my wife said, there's some, some man walking this way. And it was Daryl. And it was the seventh year after his surgery, and he wanted to thank me again for, for saving his life. And again, I said, it's not me, Daryl, that saved your life. It, it's your mother. I said, by the way, how is that right arm? He could lift it almost uh, above the horizontal. He said, I mean, left arm. He said, that's fine now. He said, it's getting better. He said, I can drive and everything's fine. He said, but I want to invite you to my wedding. And uh, sure enough, uh, they became married. He and a nice young lady. They have a little girl who's the same age as my son. And I saw him last year uh, in Las Vegas where he lives when I was at a conference. And he's a very handsome boy, and his life is certainly fulfilled. He's doing good things now as he did before. So this I called to say I love you is important, uh, Elvin, because uh, heaven, what we talk about heaven, and I don't know if we need books with roadmaps or anything, it's real simple. It's that 18 inches. It's in the heart. And once we can reach that heart center, I think that's when things really start to blossom. So I hope this answers the question of that song. Interesting. I, out of curiosity, I'd like to know what you did with that car. I mean, I thought you were going to tell me that you donated it to Daryl. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that, Elvin? You dropped down again. Sure. Out of curiosity, you're moving around, and I'm getting a headphone feedback, Jack. I may ask you to go to uh, just a handset. but uh, How is this, Elvin? Is this better? Yeah, that's better. That's clear. Uh, okay, what I started to say is, that I, what did you do with your Ferrari? Well, I tell you, that's a $135,000 lesson that I learned because uh, something called managed care came to the islands, and that means the insurance companies decided for a auto accident and workers' comp, they would cut it down to a Medicare-type rate. <clears throat> so my income then dropped by two-thirds. It didn't bother me because I didn't come to, to this island to make money because it's not a money-making place, but... I think it bothered uh, my wife because uh, I think led was one of the things that led to a divorce because she had to go to work. But I gave the Ferrari back to the bank. Uh, she said, "Look, we just can't afford that kind of a payment." And she was right. The payment was two thousand bucks a month for that car. Uh, so the lesson I learned was uh, when you're hyperthyroid, you've got to get it taken care of, and that it changes your thinking, your thought process. And when I, I got rid of that and got an old uh, Nissan pickup, nobody stared at me anymore. And I was just like incognito, so to speak. And it was a much better feeling. 
You know what? I, one of the things I love about you is just your candor, your humility. So many people would would hide yeah. that. They would come up with some other kind of a story. I wrote yesterday, humility is not about diminishing yourself. It's about maximizing the value of others. And, you know, Dr. Turner, you're one of those folks that is an example of exactly that. Let me ask you this. You you told us about the thyroid. Now, I know I know you personally, so I know some other things. But but because of health concerns and because of your, you know, search for what enlightenment is, what it means, etc., you visited John of God. And uh, flesh that out. Tell that story to our audience. What was what was that like? And and where are you with uh, the outcome now? A couple of years later. All right. Well, again, you stop me if I'm being too verbose here on this thing. But that kind of God thing is uh, is really interesting because it came up after I read a book called "A Surgeon with a Rusty Knife." See. And that was about a Brazilian man who uh, was also able to have uh, spirits take over his body to do healing. And there have been several in Brazil. The current one is John, and he's called John of God, although he doesn't like that that title because he said it's not uh, me doing this work, it's God who's doing this work, because he has no memory of what goes on. So as it turned out, I was reviewing a book by Dr. Emma Bragdon about spiritist hospitals in Brazil mm-hmm. and how they're curate with things like schizophrenia and bipolar disease is an astounding 95%. Now, that's really without medical medications and treatment, and it was a superb textbook about this. And she said to me, uh, Jack, I'd like to offer you to come along on a trip to Brazil. He said the expenses won't be that much, but it's a tour for medical professionals, and you'll see how this is accomplished, which was by detaching the offending spirit from the patient, right? Hmm. And she said we'll be based in the Casa, where John of God does his work, so you have a chance to meet with him. Well, by this time, I had studied all about John of God, and I said, that's going to be great. And I recall what Dr. Oz had said when he was asked, what do you think really happens down there? And he said, well, I, I think that the guy is able to massage the pituitary gland with forceps. Uh, he said, that's about all I know. Well, of course, amazing Randy jumped all over that to show there's no way you can forceps up the nose and massage any pituitary gland. But there is an approach which is above the upper gum and underneath the nose to reach the pituitary, but it takes a lot of work, a microscope, and plenty of other things. So anyway... I said, well, look, I need to go down there and see this firsthand because, you know, what good is it going to be for a comment on John of God if I don't know what I'm talking about? Right. So I went down there, Eldon, you know, I, I don't know, two or three years ago this was, you know, central Brazil, the poorest part of Brazil. But, you know, I, I, I had talked with other people that had been down there. And uh, Clyde Swanson, I think you know Dr. Swanson, Uh, mentioned to me, we talked about it, and he said, you know, he was on uh, Coast to Coast one time, and he was asked, Dr. Swanson, if you had a serious, serious medical problem, what would you do? And he said, well, I'll go see John of God. And then the caller said, well, I've heard that a lot of this is fake. And he said, you know what, Jack, I didn't know what to say because I didn't know. He said, I hadn't been down there. So he arranged to go by himself, took the trip, 
And he said he also arranged for a friend of his who was very adept at astral projection to meet him there. All right. So he takes a cab. He said it's about an hour ride from the uh, airport. And as he's approaching this place called the Casa, he felt as if he was going through some type of a barrier, some energy barrier. He said it's like this whole little place, a few square blocks, is protected by some bubble of protection. When he got there, he had wanted to undergo what's called spiritual surgery, and I'll explain that in a minute, but it's where the spirits of deceased doctors and the Holy Spirit is called upon to heal the people that have assembled there. As you know, Elvin, millions of people have gone down there, and I think you and I even talked about going at one time, right? Right, right. Yeah, so anyway, he said he got down there. Uh, He was chosen to have that spiritual surgery, and he said he knew that after that uh, he would feel like you were wiped out for 24 hours, and they would bring the food to your room, and all you could do was just kind of be in that wiped-out state. And he wanted to experience that, but he bought a jug of black coffee, and he said he wanted to write down everything. He said, you know what? He said, I couldn't do a thing. He said, I couldn't work on the computer or anything. He said, I just was out of it for 24 hours. So I said, gee, all right, and I'm going to experience this. So I go down there, Elder, and I, I get to the place. And as you know, everybody wears white there. Everything is white. It looks like Hawaii. There plumeria trees and hummingbirds darting in and out. It was a beautiful place, and, and all the people just looked so familiar, the local people. It was a great place. But something else happened, uh, Eldon, if, if I may continue. No, you I'm, do. You, you, yeah. we, we have about four more minutes for the break, so see if you can finish the story up before the break, because it's an important story. Well, uh, okay, in four minutes, I'll, I'll try. Uh, let me then limit this to the most significant thing that happened down there. All right. You're allowed to uh, have three requests when you finally get to stand in front of the man, uh, which happens on two occasions. Uh, other than that, you're sitting in these meditation areas where up to a couple of hundred people are assembled, never crossing their legs, their hands on top of their thighs, and eyes closed for an entire period that could last a few hours. And anyway, uh, after three requests, uh, they say, we don't know which one will be honored, but you can uh, have three. So as you get up in front of the man, and the first time his eyes were definitely brown, because uh, the second time I saw him, his eyes were definitely blue, and that was interesting. But when I saw him, uh, and I realized this might be my only chance to uh, directly communicate with the spirit, my first request, the translator whispered in his ear, was this. I want the ability to establish two-way communication with benevolent spirits. That's what it was. Well, again, to keep this within four minutes, the next day while sitting in that meditation, after two hours, I heard something from about two inches from my left ear, which was my name, John Turner, whispered. Now, I didn't move. I didn't open my eyes. It was something I totally did not expect. And I think, Eldon, in retrospect now, that was the beginning of a lot of things, like the answer to my request. So if we're coming on the break now, maybe this is a good point to stop. You know, there's there's more time to four minutes than a person actually thinks since you have three minutes remaining of that four. But what I didn't want to do was end your story 
uh, it was to prepare you that I might have to cut you off. So why don't you go ahead, and if I and, and if I have to cut you off, then I'll just say, well, and we'll get on, all right? Okay, well, I, you know, I came across Marianne Williamson and her show. I had never heard of her at all, but her show was discussing some real high-level spiritual things, and, and as I was listening, I thought I would call in and ask her what her opinion was of that experience, you know, because I'm trying to figure it out. The thing of the eye color changing, uh, I found out later after I returned from Brazil and during the course of things that in cases of multiple personality disorder, the eyes have been known to change color too. That's clearly a patient with uh, green eyes will tell me that their eyes kind of change according to what they're wearing on occasion. So then I realized that eye changing wasn't maybe that spectacular of a thing. But what happens is, according to John of God, he doesn't recall anything that transpires. He allows one of 40-some different spirits to take over his body. And only one spirit does this. Well, anyway, uh, a lot of things happen after coming back. In fact, uh, patients who knew me uh, said, you know, there's something different about you. I said, what do you mean? They couldn't pinpoint it. But I seem to have come back with a, a kind of a knowing about things, or knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G. It was hard to explain, but I felt that some of those spirits in that place kind of came back with me, right? How, how about your health side, uh, Dr. Turner? I mean, uh, you, you indeed were treated uh, for a specific health situation. Is that... Yeah, that's right. What had happened when I had my tickets arranged to go, uh, suddenly I found out my blood sugar was shot up and a fasting value of almost 500 uh, milligrams per cent, something like that, four or 500. Right. And it's insulin to just get it down within range, and then it took uh, a combination pill to keep it that way, which I took with me on the trip. I also had a constant glucose monitor, so I could push a button on a little cell phone device and instantly read what my blood sugar was. And I was all prepared to see what happened, but my second goal was to have a normal blood sugar without medications. Right. And for a while, that was true, because after coming back, I no longer needed any medication. My blood sugar stayed stable. Well, that condition changed after a while, so now I do take a pill for the blood sugar. But I also had uh, two trigger fingers. Uh, I, I think you folks know what that is. Your fingers kind of stick, and you kind of, when you right. open it, a little bit painful. That was minor stuff. You know, when I had my second visit with him, I had another three requests. And again, my number one request okay. was an interesting one. Right there. Right there. When we come back, your number one request and your second request with John of God. Again, if you would like to know more about Dr. John L. Turner and his work and book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, visit his website at johnlturner.com or check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. All right, we have a film featuring Dr. Turner for you during the break. You can watch it in our chat room, so if you're not already there, now's the time to join the fun. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. 
We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's b r u c e t w e e d y.com. brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, provocativeenlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, hard scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at provocativeenlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using inner talk. Lisa wrote, "To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs: prosperity, money management, and luck. I listened to the prosperity and money management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping." The Lux CD I listen to every day at home, also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a hundred dollar gift card to the Gap, won five hundred dollars cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, inner talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth. Inner Talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's i n n e r t a l k.com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com 
or bto.net and or bbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Dr. John Turner about his inspiring book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. Now, Dr. Turner, we just played your second musical choice, Stay Gold by Stevie Wonder. What's the story on this one? Well, you know, Eldon, this last remaining hour is going to go so fast. I don't know if we'll get any questions answered. I still have to answer uh, about (laughs) who's the bad guy. Right. Yeah, well, that's all right. We'll get, we'll we'll get him answered. Don't you worry about it. We might okay. get to rat a tat tat, but for the minute, that's okay. What's the story on this one? Okay, on this one uh, again to bring up my book, which I really don't like doing because that's a no. Mind- you should. It's a great book, and everybody should know about it. And you don't need to be modest on this show. I'll pound on your chest. It's a great book. Now, tell us about the book. Well, the last three words in the conclusion are simply stay gold, because. I- I see now it boils down to making it through these lessons here that we, in part, are helping designing. But once we get through those and we reach that point where we've made that travel from the uh, head to the heart, we have to continually work on staying gold. And I tell you, I, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. You know, when I thought I had reached a good point, I thought I had given up all thoughts, Eldon, that in any way had anything to do with a racist opinion of things, right? And I think yep. you know what I mean by that. I, I yep. came to Hawaii in a way I was escaping, escaping Cleveland, Ohio. And what I perceived as racism every day directed at me because of the color of my skin, right? Yep. And that had been about 39 years of that, you know, my life. And coming to Hilo, I found that the situation was a flip-flop, Eldon. Here, there hadn't been one day when I had any racism. And I I still had to get over my opinion of things. My sister came to visit me in the mid-'80s. I sent her a ticket, and I said, Kay, you've got to see this place over here. Because over here, Eldon, as I probably told you, 70% of the population is part Oriental, and the uh, skin complexion over here, 
for the most part, is a brown complexion. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the kind of looks I have coming from a, a poor dog, which means a mixed breed type of thing, kind of fit in with, the, with what the local people look like over here. So suddenly, I'm in a position where I have nobody staring at me or giving me ugly glares, none of that stuff. And it went on that way for almost 33 years, not one day. But it took me some time to get over my feelings still of uh, resenting the typical American uh, white male, basically, is what it was, Eldon. And I worked on it. I really worked on it spiritually. And I finally got to the point where I could go to the Kona side of this island, which is mainly a place where tourists come to enjoy the sun and the sand and surf without having any bad feelings at all about anyone over there. But for a while, I couldn't go over there, Eldon. Just the thought of it drove me nuts. But here I was, Eldon, tooling along all these years and finally said, look, I've got the last ounce of that. And I felt I was truly able to see people as a true brother or a true sister with the realization that we are all one as we go through this life, right? Right. Until, Until I saw an advertisement downtown months ago about an artist named Keb Moe. Oh, wait, hold it on that one. Hold it, hold it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going to go, and, and I'm, it's one of my cued questions, so you, you just hold it a second. We're going to take, we're going to listen to something, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to tell me all about this, all right? All right. One, two, three. Myself a better man. All right, now pick it up. He's coming to town. Go ahead, tell the story. Well, I saw the poster downtown and I couldn't believe it because I remembered really liking this guy's music. He was born in Compton, California, made his way down to Louisiana and plays blues uh, with a bottleneck on his little finger. Right, I love the guy. Yeah, okay, now. I told my wife, I said, look, my gosh, I can't believe this guy's coming to Hilo, and he'll be at the university auditorium. I said, i got to check him out. Mm-hmm. So I bought two tickets, one for my friend David, who's a Vietnam uh, war hero, actually, a really nicest guy until you cross him. <laughs> but I said, David, Louisiana, you're going to dig this, man. I've got two seats in the uh, front, third row back. And uh, I think you're going to appreciate this music. So he said, sure, I'll go with you. So 
we go to, go to that event. And, you know, I played a little guitar, Eldon. And over here there's a way to play it called slack key, in which you detune the guitar a little bit, a few strings. And it's got a unique sound to it. And after practicing so hard, I, one time everything went automatic, and I was looking at my fingers taking off like I was out of the body watching this. And, mm-hmm. and I asked my friend who taught me, a famous uh, entertainer here, and he, I said, does this ever happen to you, Edward? He said, all the time. So I, I said, I have to see this guy. So we go down to this concert, Eldon, and I don't know what kind of cell phone you have, but, but you know, on the iPhones, like most of them, you can turn down the uh, brightness. Right. So I had it down real dim, and I was hunched down in my seat so I didn't bother anyone, and I was typing in a playlist. Every time this guy sang a song, I typed in a playlist so I can, you know, remember this concert. Right. And the first half was all fine, Eldon. You know, it was cool, and the lights came up, and uh, intermission, and every few people said, hey, Dr. Turner, I thought you left a while. I said, no, I never left. Still here. We talked, and it was good. And then the lights went down, and it started again, and I'm down ready to do the playlist, and suddenly, Eldon, from behind me, I hear this voice say, turn it off, the light's in my face. Just like that. Okay. And it startled me, Eldon. I mean, I turned around and looked, and it looked like a typical guy from the mainland sitting behind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say, because I told you it had been 33 years, and no yeah, one this ever pale skin papoose, okay. <laughs> yeah, you understand, nobody talked to me yeah. like that, especially a mainland type of guy. Yeah. So I put the phone in my pocket, and I'm thinking. So I take it out, and I turn around, and I tell the guy, I said, listen, how about if I hold this so the light's in nobody's face? You know? He said, why don't you just take it outside and use it? <laughs> well, Eldon, I tell you what uh, happened. I heard my friend David mutter an expletive, like, what, this, you know? I said, David, okay, I know what to do. I'll handle this. So I'm thinking more on this, Eldon. And here's what happened and why this is so important about staying gold. I, the memories flooded back from those 39 years in Ohio, right? And then okay. the last 32 years without any of that. And it just it just made me slip, Eldon, right? Now, do you know the story, Eldon? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm well, hearing it for you... the first time, so... Hey, now, listen. No. You've met yeah. me. You know me. Uh, yeah. You know about 6'2". And... Yeah. Yep, yep. What do you happen next? Uh, I don't know. At your at, at 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 your place in life today, uh, maybe an apology. At your place in life, fifteen or twenty years ago, uh, maybe you'd break a pimple called a head. <laughs> but okay. Well, what listen. did happen? Here's why I'm even discussing this whole thing because remember, I told you I thought I had. I had by you know bypassed all of those kind of feelings about anything. Right, right. But I want to tell you what happened. I decided that fine. I leave the phone in my pocket. I sat up straight in the chair. Maybe this guy thought I was some young kid or something. Mm-hmm. And I decided that at the end of that concert, when everyone stood up and the lights came on, I was going to stop this guy and say, "Wait a minute, man. We're not through yet." And whatever he said wouldn't matter. I was going to get right in his face, and I was going to really cuss him out. And then if he raised his hand, I was going to punch him, Elder. <laughs> I can't believe now, you decided that. When I tell this story to any local guy, they said, man, I would have been over that chair and pound that. You know, that's the way they are over here. But, you know, I was going to wait to the end. 
Okay. The next day, I had a meeting to help a friend with a lawyer and an ex. Oh wait, 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 wait! You you jumped to the next day. Well, Hold I it. We, I want to know what happened that night. All right, but I'll tell you why I jumped. All right. Next day, I had the meeting arranged. And I asked the cop. I asked the lawyer. I said, "Now look, if things had gone down that way, what would have happened?" And they both said, "Doctor, you would have left there in handcuffs." Yep. So what do you mean? They said, "Absolutely, you'd be charged with assault." You'd have to post bail and then go to court. And then I realized that was the best thing that could have happened. Uh, yep. Suppose I hit that guy and broke his jaw. Can you imagine the medical bills, the lawsuits, on top of being handcuffed and in jail? And, and, and the worst possible is you hit him, but he ends up somehow really hurting you. But because you hit him first, you're arrested, you have the bail, you have his medical bills, and you have your own. Yeah, suppose he hit his head and had a blood clot on the brain killing him. I'm the only one on the island that could potentially save him. I yeah. mean, it would have been a good story for CNN, the whole thing. But here's what happened. As I listened to this guy's songs, they all were about, you know, some rough times in life, but they were positive outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And then it hit me, what has happened to me? Why would I let this stupid thing happen like this? And I turned around, I tapped the guy on his knee. And he slapped my hand twice, boom, boom, as hard as he could. And that's when I grabbed his right hand, and I shook his hand, and I looked him in the eye and said, Look, man, I'm sorry. I am truly sorry for this. I want you to accept this apology, and let's both enjoy this concert. Then I winked at him, and I felt him squeeze my hand back. Well... The point of this story is that at the end of the show, I turned around and the two seats where those guys were sitting was empty. They left. I don't know why to this day, but here's the point. This guy, Kev Moe, gets off the stool for the first time, and he carries the guitar up to the microphone, and he said, Now, I want to close this by singing a song that nobody requested, but I think I need to sing this one. And I swear he was looking right at me. And he, <laughs> that song, A Better Man which was actually that. What do you do when you're sitting there in a problem and trying to figure it out? You've got to realize you have to keep a smile on your face to make your world a better place. And I tell you man. now that that guy probably witnessed this whole thing as he was playing and singing because these professional people, they're so good and so practiced, they can free up their mind and they can see all this kind of stuff without missing a beat. And so, Eldon, I need to ask you, is it possible to subdue those demons we have to really get them all out? Or is that what happens when you become an angel? What do you think? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think it's a process, uh, Dr. Turner. I think it is indeed a process. And I think the question how high is up is uh, rather exemplary of, of the process. You know, you, you can get better and better and better and, and you can start patting yourself on the back. And, and you know, and, and I think we're all inclined to do that to some extent. We're all inclined to acknowledge at least our progress and realize, you know, I don't do some of the things that we've tried to to overcome and, and to outgrow. And as we do that, you know, and, Invariably, we will get another lesson. My, uh, you know, not not here or there, but you know, I my oldest son has a wonderful way of just insulting me out of nowhere, and and I finally realized that instead of 
responding to his insults as though, you know, he has in some way degraded me, what I need to realize is, you know, he's a pretty valuable teacher to me until the time comes that I no longer have that need to respond. And I, and I, and I, I think that all of us have these, these teachers, these, these little ways that we learn that, you know, in the overall grand scheme of it, as you have said, you know, we're really one. And to the degree that we're unable to integrate that, we have a remaining conflict. And I think part of the struggle is indeed how we resolve that conflict. You look into the world and you hear about someone who does commit some heinous act. You see what's happening with ISIS, or ISIL as the president would like it today, uh, going on in the in the Middle East and uh, and a beheading and and you, and you say, you know, how do I incorporate this as a part of me, the whole? And and I flounder personally when it comes to that, Doctor Turner. I flounder. So I think the bottom line is, it it is a journey, and we're on that journey, and it's not all that clear. You want well, to you, add to that? I'm sorry. I was going to say, do you think there's a little bit of that, uh, Mister Hyde, and all of us for self-preservation? That if we didn't have it, we we're going to just get kicked around by. By, by a whole lot of people, and we've got to kind of be able to stand up sometime and fight back. Do you think that's what it is? or Well, you or... know, you you know, in fact, it is. I mean, I had to smile when you were telling the story about your mother uh, discouraging you from being, becoming a psychiatrist because there's a classical uh, difference between psychologist and psychiatry. And the psychologist would like to get to the underlying issue, and, and they believe the psychiatrist just wants to, you know, uh, cover it up. Let's just medicate it away, and and that's what you said. So I kind of smiled when you said that. But the data, uh, the behavioral science data, shows very clearly that uh, we all have what's been called a Lucifer side. It it you know it, it, it resides within all of us. It's a part of our evolutionary process. And uh, you know the person that says they would never do something. Well, they really haven't taken time to examine themselves, to get into and to truly understand themselves or, or the human psychology. So we all indeed do have that Dr. Hyde side, if you will. Uh, Mr. Hyde, I think it was. Dr. Jekyll, was that Mr. Hyde side. So um, absolutely. Uh, Philip Zimbardo in his wonderful book, uh, The Lucifer Effect, uh, clearly, you know, shows study after study after study that sh- just given different set of circumstances, as in the Stanford prison study, we will behave differently. We're very chameleon-like. We change our clothes and we change our behavior. Uh, we change our roles and we begin to act differently. Uh, well, you you know, in the I'll... hospital, entirely different than in a concert with a couple of people behind you, challenging you in a way that remind you of Ohio and, and your earlier life. And uh, so, yeah. Well, let me let me try to, when is the next hard break, Eldon? Because I know you're going to, I won't be able to finish it, but I want to kind of finish this story and address a question that came up. Okay, we have five minutes. Go. Because okay. I want to I want to hit you with several things in the last uh, half hour, okay? So go yeah, ahead. Flesh this one out. Yeah, there was something in the chat room that said maybe uh 
this is one of those doctors that had a God complex. And I want to address that because I sure did. Here's the thing. When you go through neurosurgery, uh, which is called the queen of the medical specialties, you right. get to thinking you're something really special because most people uh, had a hard time with neurology and, and they haven't had a chance to keep up with it. And when they call a neurosurgeon in, they really don't understand all the ins and outs and uh, they kind of treat you that way, right? Mm-hmm. right. And uh, also being a, a young doctor, you're kind of looked on, uh, which I realize now is a meal ticket. And and there's a, there's a whole complex thing. And when my second wife during my residency, stopped me and said, Jack, you know, everything that happens is a learning experience. Once you finish one, the next one's waiting for you. And I remember thinking, what is she talking about? As if she didn't know anything, right? But Mm -hmm. I tell you, as you know, Alden, I've been on many of these radio shows giving her all the credit for trying to wake me up, but I was just too caught up with an ego thing to see it. And I think that's why one of the things that helped me with that ego was the Course in Miracles way long ago. I tried to get stamp this eagle thing out. But I think I know a way to eliminate that demon from popping up. And, and it's an exercise that you and the listeners might try. Cool. And just take one day and try to realize that everyone you are going to meet is going to be dead and, at the end of the day. And see if you can do everything that needs to be done for them. And, you know, it, it, it's an interesting way to see how it works when you look at people like that. You start to then realize that thing about, you know, this is my brother or this is my sister, right? And that eventually we all return to that source. And that's why that book, 47 Billion Years of Evolution, was so critical for me, Eldon, because it allowed me to stop all this search for what is the afterlife and reading books about it, planning to write books about it and all that, and to let it go and realize, look, the purpose uh, here, at least I know my purpose, is to be a physician because that's the only thing I've tried to do that I've done fairly well. And I think it's the type of job where you're always helping someone. And when it's fun to do it at the same time because you love your work, I mean, what could be better than that, Elder? right? No, you're right. I, I totally agree. I, I would say your purpose is service and your tool happens to be that you're an outstanding physician. But, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, it, it would take a physician, though, to think about seeing another person as though they were dead. I think, I, you know, easier for me to imagine that, okay, this is my last day here. I can put up with anything. But I, I will try that. I will try that. Remember, now, it's not it's not that your last day. It's that whoever you meet, it's their last day. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's the, that's a little tougher for me to do than to think that it's my last day. You know, you, you, you look at a loved one and you think this is their last day. I mean, you know, I don't All right, know. I'm think maybe get tears in my eyes. As you come across during the day. Yeah. You know, I like for me, as an example, would be every patient that comes to me, right? Right. You know, I've got to be able to do what I can do for them to the best of my ability, and that's that's what it's all about. So that Simply Stay Gold and the song by Stevie Wonder, Stay Gold, is the thrust of it. And uh, a song I would have given you is by the Clark Sisters, a gospel song. It's called Pure Gold. And they explain during the singing of the song, and it's on YouTube, Pure Gold, that we're at silver and we come into fire, we turn to silver from tin, wood, and iron, then we need a polish and a shine, and then we come out as gold. And that's by making it through these uh, vicissitudes of life. If we can stay in there, hang in there, and not you know, commit suicide, not kill someone, not go crazy, 
if we can see each thing as a planned learning experience and we can complete that experience. And like my wife told me, my ex-wife said, look, the next one is waiting for you as soon as you learn one lesson. And that's the way it is. She was so right. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, when we come back from the break, we're going to have to do some rapid fire because there's several things I want to cover with you. But our audience should know a little more about your book, uh, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. And it is a great read. And what we have not been able to get into are many of the metaphysical experiences that Dr. Turner uh, retells uh, how he was basically led by spirit to uh, investigating all sorts of things, not just writing the book, but, you know, looking at EVPs or electronic voice phenomena, looking into NDEs. And, and we're going to we're going to take on some of that rapid fire when we get back from the break. So I encourage you to check out his website, JohnLTurner.com. We hope you're enjoying our show today. We'll be right back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. The changes I've seen in my life are truly a blessing. InnerTalk has given me the tools to repair deep-seated beliefs that constantly worked against me. I find myself happier and more successful since I've used the InnerTalk programs. I encourage you to discover the power of your beliefs by visiting www.innertalk.com and selecting your title for change. There's a hidden secret in the Northwest. Well, it's not really a secret, but it's not very well known either. Eldon and Ravindra discovered the neatest bookstore in Sandpoint, Idaho. The store is called Zero Point Crystal. And when you enter the premises, you face a six-foot-tall quartz crystal that gives off an unbelievable radiance. Books, music, gemstones, lapidary specialties, singing bowls from Tibet, essential oils, and so much more fill this special sanctuary. If you're in the area, be sure to check them out. If not, visit their website at www.zeropointcrystals.com. You won't be sorry you did. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long. By listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you can learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lectures are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching excellence. If you haven't yet read Mind Programming, you're in for a real awakening. Like the red pill, ignore the book at your own peril. Here's what author Angelina Hart had to say about the book. 
Mind programming is a brilliant expose on how we've become unconsciously enslaved to that which we haven't understood. Eldon Taylor exposes and explodes the old world view of fear and lack that is generated direct and indirect manipulation of our minds without our awareness or permission. With well-earned insight, he offers proven pathways of self-empowerment that entrain our consciousness towards the model of unity and abundance that negates the survival paradigm. In a period when fear has reached a frenzied pitch, Taylor shines a brilliant spotlight to dispel the darkness. Get your copy today at fine bookstores everywhere or online from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. Ravinder and I love supporting causes we believe in. We both feel the pain when we see an animal abused. Call it empathy or what you will, the pain is very real. We both also celebrate with joy the wonderful stories of animal rehabilitation. Indeed, it can be goosebump time. We urge you to get involved and lend aid to your local animal shelter or in the alternative, make your donations to the Humane Society of the United States. You can read about their work and make that donation by going to www.humanesociety.org. You can make a difference, but only if you act. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jen Reich, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. Eldon offered me the opportunity to share this poem with you. It's called Mind Over Chatter. If I say I'm going to run a mile, I most likely will go too. For usually getting started is the hardest thing to do. And this can go for anything that calls for motivation. It first begins within the mind until we find our inspiration. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. John L. Turner about his life, work, and book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. We'll take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions for our guest, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. 
Now, we just played We'll Meet Again by the Ink Spots, and unfortunately, the only copy of this that we could find that we could air uh, was a recording, the old LP record recording, so you heard some of that that familiar needle scratch, if you're old enough, as it passed the disc. What's the story with this one, Dr. Turner? Well, it has to do with who plays the bad guy, in a way. I can finish up that question you asked me at the beginning. Cool, uh, good. That time that light flooded in, and I thought about that Epictetus quote, I realized that I had reached the point of 100% forgiveness. But my ex-wife apparently had not, uh, by not willing to be around me. And I was that way for a while with people who had heard me elder, and I, I forgive them, I forgave them, but I just didn't want to run into them anymore. But I got past that point when I realized, looking back then, how could I reach this forgiveness unless someone did, did these things to me? So in that kind of a spiritual world, as a soul family, we get together, and for my incarnation, I see that I had to learn true forgiveness. That's one thing. And someone said, well, I don't like doing it, but Jack, I'll be there, and I'll play the bad guy for you. I, you know, you want your tail kicked, I'll do the kicking, but I'll show up and do it. So then I realized you have to love the people that hurt you. And as hard as it might be to, to see that or realize it, that's the way you have to look at it when you reach that point, and that's the way I look at it now. And for that we'll meet again, it's that soul family coming together. And Elder, you and I have reached some degree of closeness because I think we were all, we were part of that soul family. We were destined to meet. And I, I won't disagree. I won't uh-huh. disagree with the. I won't disagree with the latter, the soul family, but I certainly uh, strongly disagree with uh, you know the idea that we um, on the other side get folks to come in here and uh, carry out conduct or behavior like the uh, the the so-called uh, tyrants of the past you know uh, i don't want to necessarily call upon any one of them and give them the fame but there have been some real tyrants who have killed millions of people uh that's true, and, I, and, I, and I just I, I refuse to think that we said as a soul family, okay, Adolf, I'll tell you what, you know, um, in this next well, life. No, so. Eldon, Adolf was not part of your soul family or mine. Even. No, well, he was a part of, he's a part of all of us, you see, and, and all of these folks are, and that's why I, I reject that notion. You know, true, I agree with you that, you know, maybe within the soul family we you and your ex-wife could have agreed that you would uh, attempt to resolve an issue or work something through and and uh, and and in that sense you were you know you worked with each other but on this plane it seemed like the two of you were antagonists to one another but you were really here doing it uh, for the betterment of each other okay i i can buy that uh, it's it's the extreme, I suppose, that I get to, and I say, you know, wait a minute, we're just taking this too far. But hey, you know, that's know. just my opinion, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, like my mother would have said, or did say to me, you have the right to disagree, but not to be disagreeable. Disagreeable, right? Oh, Amen. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, so now, Doctor Turner, let's take some things real quick. Unless you had, had something else you wanted to oh, say no, on no, that. No. Okay. Good. You were involved in telling a story 
um, you know, uh, all about NDE experiences and investigating it, going on tour with Dr. Raymond Moody and, uh, you know, uh, discussing this this whole thing, you know, uh, the the idea of what when death is and, uh, you know, whether or not we really are dead in that 10 minute limit or or longer. And of course, today, you know, we drag it. There's a really indefinite period. Uh, you know, a lot of medicine has come to the point where, as Parnia says, death is no longer a specific moment in time. You know, uh, you can, you know, cool the brain and other organs and, and bring people back. So the first question I have for you, after doing all of this research, after hearing the the opposing arguments, like we had Dr. Kevin Nelson on the show, and you and I talked about his show, uh, and he explains NDEs as REM activity. When you're all said and done, just stay on the NDE for a minute. In your mind... Are near-death experiences more than the product of a dying brain? Does consciousness survive the physical body? Absolutely. You know, Eldon, from all of our discussions and all the research and all the talks, you know, there's no other way to say it. To, to throw all this evidence, scientific evidence, down the drain by the skeptics is ridiculous when it's clear. And... It was made clear to me by that exceptional case uh, of Pam Reynolds and Dr. Yeah. Robert Spetzler, who, by the way, took the time to write a foreword for my book, which I'm grateful for, as he's one of the top few neurosurgeons in the world. But he was the operating surgeon for, for Pam Reynolds, the pseudonym for the country western musician, mm-hmm. who was all wired up, and she definitely had a near-death experience because she had no electrical activity that could be recorded from her brain. She had had all the blood drained from her brain as they elevated the head of the table so they could repair an aneurysm. And other signs, such as evoked auditory responses, were completely absent. So she was considered really brain dead. Now, the only question is, they did cool her body, and could there have been some brain function that the most sensitive instruments could not pick up? That's possible. But for the most part, her experience in having the other body, having her uncle there to kick her back into her body, telling her it's not your time, and her feeling like she was thrown into a swimming pool of ice water. And as she came to and recounted some of the things that happened in the operating room during that period, it's really hard for the skeptics to scoff at that. But sure, they will. And all that's fine, Elton. You know, my, you asked me, do what, what do I think about the near-death experiences? I think right. they show that we're absolutely more than a physical body. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, I I think we don't really need a a roadmap of heaven to tell us where heaven is or what's going on, because heaven is inside. You know, as a metaphorically speaking, that's where we need to get in touch. We need to get in touch with that force that animates us. Okay, now to that end, I have to ask you about this one, Dr. Turner. Because you know that I have a problem with um, false flags. That's what I'll call it. And I'm not talking about politics when I say that. But, you know, there are folks out there that say some pretty ridiculous things, in my view. Uh, You know, um, and there are folks out there who are claiming to have experiences or claiming facts that... um, just are false to fact. 
So, now where I'm going to go with this, you met Dr. Eben Alexander. I had Dr. Moody on the show, and I asked Dr. Moody about the irregularities and falsehoods, according to Alexander's own physicians, regarding his claims. And Dr. Moody basically stepped sideways. In fact, during that show, he moved to the position that NDEs were to be understood not from a perspective of science, but rather from one of philosophy, something I find kind of, you know, interesting. But my question, you met Eben Alexander. His book is a phenomenon. At the same time, there's so much information about Alexander himself that he claims to be true that was just that are factually incorrect, like the weather uh, events he describes. What is your take on this? It's alleged that this man changed the medical records during the course of a lawsuit, uh, being uh, sued for operating at the wrong level of the cervical spine and then altering the records during the course of the uh, legal proceeding. Right. That being true, I don't. there's not much I can say for, for the whole experience, except that it made me realize that I'm not really cut out to be an author and to be promoting books. In fact, the clip you showed, that interview, was in St. Louis when I was there to do this ABC thing and talk about my book. And then that book was published by Dr. Alexander, and I realized, what am I doing? Spending time, money, energy trying to promote a book when my job is to help people heal and to help them through their illness. And that was one contributing factor to my stopping all that research. The other was the spiritual entity, which, as you know, interested me because he manifested with black skin and curly black hair. And as a result, that book, 47 Billion Years, Revolution, that all came together to around the same time to show me, to point me back in the direction I should be heading. So what I can say about Dr. Alexander, he, he had an experience. He was going to write a book. He wanted to call it Love After Death. And had he done that, it would have been languishing on the bookshelves, just like my book. But maybe I should have called it Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations while in heaven and then you know made a lot of money. I don't know. The money isn't important. None of this is important. And as I put in your chat room, well, you, you say it's not to you, and, and I'm not discounting that because I know you, but it would, and forgive me, I don't mean to be stepping out over bounds here, but it would seem to me he was about to lose his medical license. He had lost his hospital privileges. Uh, the end of his medical career was clearly uh, rapidly approaching, at least as a practicing MD. So inventing some of this does i mean as far as i'm concerned again forgive me it's the investigator in me i'm always interested in mom motive opportunity means uh what what is the trajectory and and what's the agenda and uh, and when i see these falsehoods it disturbs me because i there are folks out there many of them uh who are pointing these things out and then it gives the naysayer that person who would say, hey, this is all nonsense, that's some kind of new age fluff, cotton candy and whatnot, it gives them ammunition to discount men like you 
who've done the hard work, who've followed the research, who sorted through the actual cases, who interviewed and and so on and so forth. So I I, I find that disturbing me. But all right, just, just let me just tell you my thought on that, Elden. You know, everything we've talked about today, I've got to also understand that Dr. Alexander kind of looked upon as my brother too. And, uh, you know, so what happens with there, I've got to say what my mother drummed into me. If you can't say something nice about a person, don't say anything at all. So there's not much more I can say about that whole situation except... All right, I guess we don't have a provocative... <laughs> well, you know what I'm... Okay, Let, let's go to a new subject. Yeah. Uh, for some time, you were involved in scouting out the best scientists and other experts in the world, all aimed at a television series that would demonstrate spiritual reality. You spoke with everyone from uh, Gary Schwartz to Tom Campbell, and you've examined at least some, uh, to some extent, every theory out there pertaining to evidence for life beyond death. So when it's all said and done, what is your take today? What did you personally gain from this endeavor by way of understanding? I gained what I think what I feel is the ability to begin the process of waking up. And as I put in your chat room, I, I used to discuss with patients or friends uh, the fact that, you know, everything seems to be part of a great illusion. And uh, in talking with one young man who was injured in a severe accident uh, two years before, and, you know, the car was blazing, the drivers are on fire, he made it uh, out of that somehow as a passenger. And when I talked to him about it, and I said, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, I was in a car accident, and I came to in the ambulance with a guy asking me, what's your name, what's your name? I couldn't believe it, like I was in a dream. And I said to him, as you look around this exam room, you see the computer, you see the view box, all these things. Is it possible that you and I are dead and don't know it? And he looked at me, and he said, you know, you're the second person to ask me that. He said, I really don't know. So I began to discuss this with patients who had barely, uh, you know, who almost died but made it through, you know. And they also answered the same kind of thing. They're not sure if they came back to the same world they left. And I talk about energy and how everything is energy in motion, all these atoms in a flux that eventually will do something else somewhere else, but, you know, never are destroyed. Then, Eldon, I wanted to learn the bass guitar. The first time I tried that, my oldest son saw that thing, and it was gone. This time, I had a chance to learn again how to thump and pop that instrument. And I bought all these videos and books, and one book by one of these famous players I thought would teach me was all about a visitor that came to teach him about the spiritual world. After reading that, I realized that none of that talk about atoms and energy was important. The important thing is, what are we learning? And as I stated, and your wife agreed, we might be able to take some of that with us to the next level, right? So that's what I've learned, how to accept things for what they are, not to cry over spilt milk, to say, well, what if I had done that? Because, listen, things are the way they are because that's the way it went, and these other possibilities are just some parallel worlds that we're never going to deal with. So that's what I've gained, I think, Eldon, the chance to start waking up in this life. All right, Doc, let me ask you this then. You used to tell me that you were quite certain this was all a dream. Do you hold steadfastly to that view still today? No, that's 
said, I've changed now. I'm no longer that because now, as I said, the key thing is, are we learning these lessons? You know, right. so we have to repeat them. Are we really getting it down? And all that illusion, maybe it is one great illusion, but we are learning things and we're able to put that into play. So I think we do have a limitation on the free will. I know you and I have talked with that and Ernie and I have talked about that and we may not be as free as we think we have it, but I think we go through the routine and if we can learn to love as a result of that, I think that's that's completing that trip from the head to the heart. Okay. Now, you know, the big questions in and, and you kind of given us the answers I and, mean, you know, let you flesh them out a little bit. You've spent all this these years uh, looking at spirituality, and I know you to be a very serious investigator uh, and a very bright member of Mensa. Uh, so, you know, our audience doesn't underestimate the amount of endeavor, the, the keenness of mind that you brought to this task. The big question, in your view, why are we here? What is our purpose? What happens when we physically die? Where do we go? And do we reincarnate? Uh, you want me to answer those questions in the remaining time? <laughs> yeah, I, I told you you were going to get the questions, and you might have to take them rapid fire. But, yeah, you've got about two minutes each. Yeah, we came from, uh, again now, you realize this is my opinion based on... 47 seven. billion years. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Yeah. Here's the thing. We reincarnate after uh, planning out what we need to work on. How do we uh, perfect our spirits? You know, we've had one, one go around on this earth, right? And we may have many more to go before we can return to that source, which, as you know, I feel now it's clear. It's an energy that can create energy. Those five words were something that when that 47-billion-year book that spirit explained to these people, look, you know, you can call this God, you can call it Allah, whatever, this higher power, but we refer to it as the source, and it's an energy that can create energy. Then it all fell into place, Eldon, my study of ancient Egypt with the first uh, mythology God they believed in called Atum, A-T-U-M, and uh, God who created himself from nothing. And the importance of all this is that the physics of it, of it all can show that everything came from nothing. I mean, not even an energy. The energy came into it later. You know, all the spirits and all that stuff came later. But first, there was nothing. And I would recommend a book to people, A Universe from Nothing by Leonard Krauss, a good physicist, who says, look, here's how I can show that it all came from nothing. So it began to make sense, Eldon, that we came from a spiritual world where we can plan our next life events, but it's kind of wiped from our memory for the most part, right? And we go through these lessons. And then uh, as we're learning, we go through it again, just like the cover of my book that Dandelion Flower that the publisher picked really summarized what I thought, too, uh, that, you know, it starts again and it goes again and then again. But when does it end? When we finally do perfect that spirit, we can return to that source. And maybe then, we're sent out to help others. How? Through dreams, perhaps? Through other kind of uh, spirit visitations? Who knows that? But it takes a while to reach that. So I think that's where we came from. I think our purpose is to learn these lessons, to perfect our spirit. I think we return to that spiritual world 
for another go-round if we need to, but eventually we return to that source. And where did it all come from? It came from nothing. So I hope I answered your questions to the best. No thing. I have a very good friend. Uh, we've talked about him before, Dr. Charles McCusker, who says, I'll give up everything for no thing. <clears throat> Interesting yeah. thought. Listen, Dr. Turner, I want our audience to know... Uh, you know, where they can learn more about you, where they can, you know, read about your your current work, uh, get a copy of your book, and so on and so forth. So take a few minutes and tell us. Share it with us. Well, as you know, my website is johnlturner.com. Uh, I haven't uh, changed anything in that for a while. There's a free download of, of a program that I made using a Hemisync machine, an audio program, and there one can listen to that. And it used to be if you join that website, you know, by giving information of uh, email address and so forth, you could unlock that to download it free. But I have a Dropbox now for people who want that. But I haven't really changed that website. My friend Martin, as you know, who passed on and who I feel through the EVP and other ways I've been in contact with, I did that website for me. So I've left it running as an homage to him, basically. Uh, my interest in selling books long, long went away. And in fact, I really didn't have much of an interest. But, you know, a lot of authors, when they write a book, they think, oh, well, maybe this book will be a big seller. But since it wasn't, it didn't bother me. I realized that it was a springboard for me to get to a higher levels of understanding. And I think I needed to write that book out and ponder on these things, uh, and then meet the people I've met through the book, like you, Eldon, that were for that book, you and I, I would never have met. But it was all planned. It all was going according to a plan. So my plan now, Eldon, is to see uh, if I can be a benefit and keep my health uh, good. And I, I think I can. My mother was 99 when she passed, Eldon. And as you know, I was there the moment she right. passed almost. Right. And I know what she would say. If people said, Alberta, how old are you? She would say, you're only as old as you think you are. And they said, Alberta, how do you feel? She said, I couldn't feel better unless I were twins. I know she had aches and pains and all that, but she never complained about it. She said, I may wear out, but I'll never rust out. So I'm trying to keep active. And as long as I can take my little boy and drop him off at school in the morning, I can continue on to the office and, and try to help people through their pain. It's a wonderful read. You're listening to genuinely um, sincere individual who cares about service and improving himself and improving humanity in the process. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank our guest and all of you for joining us today. And I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.